Support for Kansas City Today comes from Cleveland University, Kansas City. From its roots as a chiropractic college to new degree programs in health sciences, CUKC is educating healthcare professionals focused on next-level health. Learn more at cleveland.edu slash impact. Support also comes from Grandma's Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with the respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Thursday, January 27th. Coming up, how Kansas might redraw its congressional districts and what that could mean for minority communities in the Kansas City area. But first, some headlines. Despite urgent warnings from experts about the surging Omicron variant, COVID-19 vaccinations in Kansas and Missouri have returned to a crawl. KCUR's Alex Smith reports. Just 54 percent of Missouri residents and 59 percent of Kansas residents are fully vaccinated, below the national average. Vaccinations in both states jumped in December but have since dropped below 10,000 per day in both states. Around 40 percent of fully vaccinated people in the states have also received their booster shot. COVID vaccines are significantly less effective against the Omicron variant than earlier versions of COVID, but booster shots restore higher levels of protection. COVID cases are slowly decreasing among adults in the area, but at Children's Mercy Hospital, the number of children hospitalized with COVID is steady. KCUR's Beck Shackleford-Wangonga has more. On January 5th, there were 30 kids at Children's Mercy receiving COVID treatment, which was the highest number ever. Infectious Diseases Division Director Dr. Angela Myers says since then, hospitalizations have stayed around 30 or more. My hope is that in our region, we are at or near the peak so that we can, over the next few weeks, hopefully start to see that downhill glide of new cases. Myers says the vast majority of children needing inpatient care are unvaccinated, and recently they've seen an increase in patients under five. She adds children or infants too young for masking or vaccination should be quarantined for 10 days if they're exposed to COVID. A company that was originally denied a medical marijuana license by the state should get one after all, according to a recent ruling by a Missouri commission. Steve Vakrat reports. Medical marijuana applicant NWGMO was originally turned down for a license and appealed the decision. The Missouri Administrative Hearing Commission was persuaded that the way the state decided who got medical marijuana licenses and who didn't was flawed. According to testimony in the case, a private contractor hired by the state to score license applications was rushed and couldn't correct its mistakes, and the state didn't second-guess the contractor's work. The reversal amounted to yet another sign of issues with Missouri's medical marijuana program, which has been dogged by suspicions of conflicts of interest and influence in the awarding of licenses. A Kansas lawmaker wants to give schools more flexibility to switch to remote learning during COVID-related school closures. But Suzanne Perez of the Kansas News Service reports the bill may not get far this session. Kansas legislators passed a measure last spring that limits students to 40 hours of online instruction or schools lose some state funding. It was a message to districts that kids should be in school in person. Democratic Representative Jared Owsley says that law didn't anticipate a lingering pandemic that has led to widespread teacher shortages and school closures. This week, Owsley introduced a bill to do away with the 40-hour limit. Having the option for the school districts to go to remote versus close the building seems like a viable option, a good tool in the toolbox that we took away from them last year 
Owsley says he thinks the bill has bipartisan support, but it's unlikely to get through a heavily conservative K-12 budget committee. Missouri Governor Mike Parson has proposed a $20 million grant program for entertainment venues like concert halls, museums, and art centers hit hard by COVID-19. Lindsay Rude Clifford is Starlight Theater's Vice President of Philanthropy. She says arts organizations face a difficult recovery. I think just knowing that there's the potential for continued support so that we can make sure our institutions and our arts organizations are, are still around to serve our communities is just really important. If approved, Missouri's program would be similar to the federal Shuttered Venue Operators Grant Program, which distributed millions of dollars last year in emergency relief to arts businesses and organizations across the state. Yesterday, Kansas lawmakers approved a bill changing the state's congressional districts, which could make a big impact on who represents Kansas in the U.S. House of Representatives. The bill now goes to Governor Laura Kelly, but it's not clear whether she'll approve it. Jim McLean of the Kansas News Service has been covering that story for us, and he's here to tell me more. Hi, Jim. Hi, Nomeen. Can you describe what Kansas's congressional map looks like right now to a person who can't see it? And how does that compare to this proposed map? It's a good question, Nomeen. Uh, let me give that a shot. Uh, the map as it exists right now is pretty reasonable, really. Uh, there's a district that surrounds the city of Wichita, which is pretty compact. Uh, and then there is the third district, which is that Kansas City area district, which is essentially Wyandotte and Johnson counties combined uh, with little slivers of like Miami County, some counties to the south of Johnson County. And then there's the state's second congressional district, which is pretty big. It stretches all the way from the state's northern border down to the border with Oklahoma. And of course, it it circles that, that Kansas City area district. And then there is the massive big first district. It, it really just stretches across two thirds of the state from just west of Topeka all the way to the Colorado border. That's the way things look right now. So why did Republicans propose this new map? Well, again, good question. And again, depends on who you ask. Uh, the bottom line is, the short answer is because they have super majorities in both houses of the legislature and pretty much have the power to control the process. They will argue that the maps are fair, that they're um, good, a good faith effort to rebalance the populations of the state's four districts. But one Republican, Representative Steve Hubert from Valley Center, that's near Wichita, kind of fessed up during the debate on the plan. He essentially said Republicans have big majorities and they'd be foolish not to use them to their advantage. After all, he said, that's what political parties do. There's nothing new under the sun. What we're doing has been done before and will be done again. And I mean, Republican leaders say they have good reasons for moving part of Wyandotte County out of Congresswoman Sharice Davids's Kansas City area district. She's a Democrat. And replacing that uh, with two rural counties that gave former President Donald Trump 71% of the vote uh, in the last election. Their reason to preserve the core of the district, which they say is Johnson County, not Wyandotte County. Democratic maps cut more rural parts of Johnson County out of the district. And finally, they also say they had strategic reasons for moving Lawrence perhaps the state's most liberal community, into the sprawling rural and largely Republican district that stretches out to the Colorado border. That reason, they say, is to unite uh, the University of Kansas with the state's other major research university, K-State. Can you describe, again, visually what the new map looks like? Yeah, uh, the new map, uh, just uh, at, at first glance, it may not look all that different from what exists now. 
But when you get into the details, it's really quite different. Um, the third district, that's that Kansas City area district that's uh, now represented by Democrat Sharice Davids in, in the United States Congress. Uh, a big portion, a significant portion of Wyandotte County has moved out of that district. About 110,000 voters is moved out of that district into that second district, which stretches from the Nebraska to the Oklahoma border. And those voters that are replaced by voters in Franklin and Anderson counties, those are two counties located to the south of the Kansas City metro, and they're largely Republican counties. I think, as I said before, they delivered 71% of the vote to former President Donald Trump in the 2020 election. The other big change is that it takes the city of Lawrence, not Douglas County, just the city of Lawrence, and it sends it to the Western Kansas district uh, again, that literally covers two-thirds of the state way out to the Colorado border. And, of course, Lawrence is probably one of the state's most liberal cities in a Democratic stronghold. So how do Democrats feel about this plan? Well, they don't like it a bit. You can imagine, right? Uh, they're angry. They say the map uh, that passed is a clear example of gerrymandering. A map says Senate Democratic leader Dinah Sykes uh, designed to do one thing above all others, and that's help Republican congressional candidates win. The majority party has used selective listening to justify a map that makes no sense for Kansas unless you see congressional districts as a means to one-party control. So anyway, no, I mean, don't, Democrats protested. They offered lots of alternatives during the debates. All of those, of course, were voted down just about every time uh, uh, on party-line votes. Uh, and so they're angry about this, and they're hoping that Democratic Governor Laura Kelly uh, will do something about it. So what is Kelly expected to do with this bill? When she has a decision like this to make, she plays it pretty close to the vest. I, I talked to her and did a quick interview with her. She said she doesn't like the map. If she were still in the legislature, she said she would not have voted for it. But she didn't go so far as to say that she planned to veto it. But most people think if that's not likely, it's certainly within the realm of uh, probability. So Republicans uh, in both the House and Senate, if they're all voting in lockstep, have the power to override uh, a gubernatorial veto by Kelly. But when the bill passed the House, it had 79 votes, which is you know five or six votes short of the number they would need to do an override. But I should point out that there were several members missing and a couple uh, voting present and not actually voting on the merits of the bill. So it remains to be seen whether Kelly will veto the bill. I don't think she'll veto it unless she thinks she has a, a chance of having that veto sustained uh, or whether she'll just kind of uh, grit her teeth and uh, let it go to the courts. So what happens next? So if Kelly vetoes the congressional bill and if Republicans cannot override it, they have to go back and redraw the maps. If Kelly, on the other hand, uh, allows this map uh, to essentially go forward, then uh, people who don't like the map have decisions to make. Again, people withstanding who don't like the map uh, could essentially uh, make sure that it ends up uh, in court. Why is this important? Why should our listeners care about redistricting? You know, that's a really good question. And uh, I think it just comes down to this. The way that districts are drawn either empower voters or disempower them. You know, if you have a block... Uh, a racially diverse section, let's just say of Kansas City, Kansas, which is very much in play in, in this debate. If they have a voting block there that is potentially influential in the outcome of an election in the third congressional district or some other legislative district, and you divide those people, well, that disempowers them. And essentially, uh, could it mean that they end up with representation, who, somebody who does not really represent their interests, right? And on the other hand, you can do the other thing. You can artificially empower certain voters by how you draw these maps. So I know it's kind of an archaic process and kind of hard to understand. And I'm sure that uh, everyday Kansans 
really don't have an appreciation for why this should be meaningful to them. However, I, I should say that the, where these lines are drawn, how these lines are drawn, uh, very much matters because it either empowers them as voters or disempowers them. Right now, Congress is so partisan. I'm wondering if this map could have an impact on politics nationally, if it ends up swinging certain seats one way or the other. Probably not very much, no mean. Frankly, you know, Kansas used to be uh, influential nationally, uh, well beyond its size. Uh, because it had people with national reputations from Bob Dole to William Ellen White, I mean, go, Dwight Eisenhower, et cetera. So it had some influence politically. But just by judging by the numbers, Kansas has four members of Congress, three of whom right now are Republicans. There's only one Democrat. That's Sharice Davids, who represents the Kansas City area, third district. And so, you know, what might be the outcome of this map is that Sharice Davids is a bit more vulnerable to defeat when she runs for re-election. So that could mean that Kansas sends four Republicans uh, to the United States Congress instead of three. That really won't affect the partisan balance in Washington very much at all. Jim McLean is the State House and political correspondent for the Kansas News Service. Thank you, Jim. You bet, Noveen. Thanks. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and Trevor Grandin and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. You can read our coverage of redistricting in Kansas and Missouri at kcur.org, where you can also find a live stream of Kansas City's NPR station. Tomorrow, we'll see how students at the University of Missouri, Kansas City feel about being one of the only campuses in Missouri without a mask order. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon. Thank you.